This is the podcast of the California Institute of Integral Studies, where each week we bring you conversations and lectures from our public program's live events, featuring world-renowned scholars, leaders, authors, artists, and thinkers. In this episode, psychedelic therapist Daniel McQueen and CIIS's Natalie Metz explore the potential for healing and personal transformation through the intentional use of cannabis and psychedelics. This event was recorded on March 27, 2019 in front of a live audience in San Francisco. To make sure you never miss an episode of the podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or visit our website at ciis.edu slash podcast. And that's also where you can find out more about us, including how to sponsor future episodes of the show. Hello, everyone. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you for being here tonight. And thank you, Daniel, for making the trek out from Colorado to be with us this evening. Oh, yeah. It's really great to be here. um, It's a little surreal. I almost went to the school, so I never expect to be on a stage like this. Um, with you all. So I'm really grateful to be here. Thanks for having me and thanks for showing up. Um, yeah. So Daniel, I'm curious just what brought you to this work in this realm of medicinal mindfulness and the work you're doing with cannabis? Oh gosh. Tell me a little bit about your journey. Um, well, I'll start with, uh, Naropa. I went to Naropa to with the intention of becoming a psychedelic therapist and uh, uh, graduated in 2012, just to give you all a time frame for that. So that was about 2008, 2009. Uh, for about 10 years um, previously, I was always connected with um, different intentional psychedelic communities, but they were more on the spiritual side of the work, um, non-traditional communities. And, um, and I realized that there was something not quite complete about them, mm-hmm. and that the, the psychological side and the, the stuff that comes up on that side needed to be explored a little more. So, um, so uh, you know, you can't get a degree in this work yet. Um, so I thought, what would be a good uh, a good balance to the like the spiritual orientation that I had uh, been exploring? And um, and Naropa with the mindfulness uh, training, I thought was a good skill set. And and it's transpersonally oriented, right? So that's the tradition of the Stan Groff. And uh, so I thought that would be a good good, um, path. But then um, you all started the psychedelic therapy training program like a couple of years after that. And uh, but I don't think I would have started the work with cannabis. Uh, so, so I think spirit might have had a, had a point, uh, had a say in that decision, maybe. Um, and then uh, with cannabis, uh, somebody just said, hey, Daniel, you know, you never, we've never really looked at cannabis as a psychedelic, right? And uh, um, maybe you could, con- you know, work with that like you would other medicines. And so we started to experiment with it. Uh, it was just about to become legal and tw- it was, this was in 2014. And, um, and so we started working with that medicine and uh, I've been doing that full time ever since I dropped all the other, all the other ideas working with other medicines. So, Mm-hmm. And was it because of the legality or the, the the position that cannabis was in and the access to it that you chose that? Not at first. Uh, so I was starting with a psychedelic uh, therapy training program at that time, but it was a so the term psychedelic harm reduction was 
just starting to be used. And, um, you know, and, and so I started to research harm reduction programs. And, and one of the major tenets of harm reduction is education, right? And so uh, you can teach anything to anybody that's legal, right? Um, and from an from a orientation of harm reduction, education reduces harm. So you can teach people how to use medicines uh, and create an ethical case for it. And, and you know, really, like, uh, yeah, I had a baby, um, my wife and I had our first baby and I really, I have a hard time not speaking about things and not speaking up. So, so I was, I thought I wanted to be an underground therapist and that was the route I was going to take and have a low key life, but I, I really couldn't keep my mouth shut. Um, okay. you know, like, it's so exciting to talk about this stuff and, uh, and right. Like, and, and so I thought cannabis would be a good training tool. Um, I didn't expect it to be as powerful as it was, but it showed up very quickly that it was a real psychedelic. And, uh, and so I started to explore that. Um, um, now what else can I say about that? Like, it's, uh, it's like, like, it almost feels like it chose me in a sense, you know? Um, um, and some people may find that kind of strange to say, but, you know, I believe in the spirits of these medicines. They at least evoke a particular mind state that we don't normally have access to and um, intuitive wisdom. And so I just kept following that thread. And here we are. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm also a, a believer in listening to synchronicity and guidance mm-hmm. and that the plants as well as the molecules have their own wisdom if you will yeah right yeah i like to think of they like to play in our heads you know like they like to they like to evolve and experience life through us and um and um and in return we we receive healing or understanding um something that helps our lives better it's like a almost a symbiotic relationship and with cannabis uh and as i'm sure it's the same out here uh, but we're actually seeing the evolution of a species like the co-evolution through different uh, genetic breeding and things um like it's just not the same substance it was even 20 years ago so yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. so i'm curious if you could maybe share a little bit about what some of these sessions are like and and how you orient towards working with people in this way sure What are these sessions like? Uh, so there's there's easy ways to describe them. Um, Do you hmm. work with groups or one on one or? Yeah, so we started with groups, and I still work with groups. So the reason we work with groups is the accessibility issue, right? Like it's way more affordable. Um, so the the social justice issue and cannabis are very intertwined, and so it's about accessibility. Uh, it's a f- an affordability, uh, and that and it's about legality, right? So some people who could use these medicines won't uh, use them because of legality, right? Uh, so it's a it's an accessibility issue, and we're learning to. So I can do groups. The other thing about working with cannabis is that it's scalable. It's a lot safer to scale up than other psychedelic medicines. So we were just in LA for a conference, and I facilitated a circle there, and. Uh, it was our largest one, and it was because we had the space for it. Like here in, Col- in California, we, you know, we can actually rent yoga studios easier. And so we had 37 people at that event, um, all engaged working with this plant medicine. Um, and then, um, I, and I do that pretty regularly. We showcase them now. I do so. We do eight a year now. We used to do 
twi- uh, 12 a year, once a month, and that was getting to be a little too much. Uh, so we do them on the uh, close to the um, like the pay, excuse me, the, the pagan holidays to spread them out over the seasons and the important times of the year. Um, so the groups, the large groups, are more journey, playful, creative, exploratory, more like a shared psychedelic trip. Um, and then the uh, we do smaller groups, and we were specifically trauma informed. And mm-hmm. and you know, so we about three or four years ago, I made the decision. It's like, what does the world really need? Like, do we need to create like just these cool trips that are fun and exciting, or maybe we should look at some trauma healing? You know, like mm-hmm. that's really where the world's needed. So, so as, as as cannabis started to become more acceptable as a psychedelic, right? It took me a, quite a while to um, just people to get that it's possible right there's a um there's a misunderstanding with this medicine like so colorado is like regulated like alcohol so people think it's like alcohol it's not it's like it's a psychedelic and uh, we just don't didn't know how to use it in the same way we did we forgot how to use it to reach its fullest potential right and so that's what we were exploring and um and so I started to do more and more one-on-one sessions with people. And, it, and as I gained more skill and confidence and the ability of the uh, medicine to do its work and also to match it with clinical, therapeutic, mindfulness practices, uh, what the bottom line maybe is that it's, um, it's maybe as effective as MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. And I know that's a big claim to make. Um, um, yeah. Are you collecting any data? Yeah, right. Yeah, I got it all right here in my head. Uh, you know, it's been a, it was a one-person show for several years, you know, so it was either, like, manage the program or collect data, you know. So, uh, so I'm a little bit behind on that. But, you know, that's why we do these circles, though. So I'm going to be like, okay, come. Like, my data is, it's you know, you can try it yourself, you know. And, um, and so... Um, and, but it's not like MDMA in the same sense. Um, it's definitely more of a plant medicine, right? So it, it has that vibe of um, uh, of a plant spirit medicine. Most people who know um, who have done ayahuasca just often describe it as that was just like ayahuasca. So it has these therapeutic qualities like MDMA. We can talk about that, you know, and go in, into detail around that. Um, but it's more of a plant medicine. It's more like uh, like a psilocybin ayahuasca vibe. Um, but <clears throat> we're able to regularly produce DMT level trips with this with working with cannabis. Um, again, I recognize that that's hard to believe, right? But you know, like it's taken me a while to feel confident enough to even like sit up here and even make these statements, right? But um, but it's like my life, you know. Like I, I do this full time. I uh, do several sessions a week now, one on one, and um, and I get to experience this over and over again. Uh, so that's why I came out here is to to share what we're what we're doing and teach how to do it because you know. So what kind of screening and preparation do you do? How do you evaluate if someone is a good candidate for this Mm -hmm. type of therapy? Let's say starting with a one-on-one session and then if there's anything different about how you screen people for groups, I'd like to hear that as well. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, groups – so – Screening one-on-one with groups, people, that takes a lot of time. And 
people just wouldn't pay for it. Um, you know, like to do an interview for a group with pot, like why the hell are you wanting me to do that, right? Um, and so what I created was a safety self-assessment. It's called the Psychedelic Cannabis Safety Self-Assessment. And it's all online. You can also can, uh, check it out. Um, and it's a good safety self-assessment. I've had it reviewed by other uh, clinicians and assessors, you know, like uh, therapeutic clinical assess- assessment people. Uh, and it's also based on a lot of experience, like what do we need to look out for? Generally, cannabis is very safe. You know, you don't have to get off of any other medications really to use it. Uh, and as long as there's not like acute psychosis or mania, um, it's generally very safe. Uh, groups, um, you know, like the assessment for are you like if you can handle a group or not as like um, you know, some people with severe trauma have a hard time being in groups. And so are you comfortable literally laying on your back for several hours in a group context? And not everybody's comfortable with that. And so that's why we do the um, private sessions. Uh, so the private sessions, the assessment is um, a 30-minute phone intake and assessment interview. And I have them re- read the safety assessment and basically ask if anything came up, um, and then I and then I'll follow the thread. So it's more of an intuitive practice for me. The problem with assessments in situations like this is the people you don't want in groups are going to be the first to lie on assessments. Um, I, you know, and I know it sounds strange, but this stuff really happens. You know, um, and uh, and so I'm listening for tone. I'm listening for tells. You know, whether or not I can tell if they're lying. And, uh, and that just comes from experience. Um, and then, uh, again, like specific qualities like mental health disorders that might show up in their speech patterns and things like that. Does that make sense? Um, so it's intuitive. And then, um, and then if somebody has you know, some pretty significant clinical concerns, uh, we would set up a protocol that would include uh, additional preparation sessions, you know, generally hour-long in-person preparation sessions. The journey sessions themselves are five-hour sessions, and within that, there's a preparation period, um, and then a three-hour journey experience, and then about an hour of integration, check-in, making sure they're in a good space before I let them go. Um, And then the people who are flying in, they do two of those, like a two-day retreat, two five-hour sessions. And the neat thing about this, so so a five-hour session makes a three-hour journey, and that's about half of what you would consider a traditional MDMA or psilocybin journey, you know. So it's basically like the equivalent of, of a full MDMA or psilocybin journey over a two-day period. And that's great. Um, and then after they leave, you know, I'll check. Well, I'm always available by email. Um, but then uh, phone call, check-in afterwards, either it could be 30 minutes or an hour. But it, again, if it's significant clinical work, we're going to add a lot more of the, we call them pre and post sessions. Um, and um, So they're tailored more to the individual's needs, but there's yeah. kind of a standard. Yeah. It's a lot more flexible hour. than say like the MDMA protocol. Is. Sure. It's just because it's, it's um, not everybody's coming with like acute, severe treatment resistant PTSD. Right. Um, so we have a lot more flexibility in that. Uh, yeah. And what form is the cannabis being administered? Well, that's the cool part. Um, so how do we even start this conversation? <clears throat> um, so many options, right? So 
So when we when I right when I was a kid, like so, let's say twenty years ago, uh, when I was a young, growing young adult, um, um, we had pot, right? I mean, really, like that's that's it, and 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 uh, and there was probably much nicer pot here than there was where I grew up. Um, but but and, and then a good pot was called kind bud, and that was only like one or two kinds of that, right? And that didn't start coming until later. So so really, what we're doing is um, something that we didn't know was possible, mm-hmm. which is being able to combine multiple strains to elicit more complex experiences, right? So we use just the flour, um, and, but it's, it's uh, blended into different recipes uh, to affect, to create different mind states. And I'd be happy to share more about like what that looks like and, and how we do it. Um, basically, it's, you know, so we know about sativas, indicas, and hybrids, right? Those are like the three kind of false categories that cannabis now fits in. Um, <laughs> So what do you do? What happens if you smoke too much of a sativa? You get really lit up, but you can get real anxious, right? And even to the point of panic. Um, and like I've definitely been there. Uh, indica is a really incredible body high, right? But it also gives you what's called couch lock or you're going to pass out, right? Um, um, so it's sedating, right? Now, what happens when you combine an indica and sativa? And what we found is, and I don't know how this works yet, but the negative qualities go away and you keep the positive qualities. So you have a really elevated sativa experience that's like creative and um, exploratory, but then it's coupled with an incredibly aware body uh, experience, which is where the trauma is healed. And the sativa helps get rid of the eliminates the sleepiness in the indica and the indica eliminates the um, anxiety in the sativa and of course that's not 100 percent, but it's significantly impactful um, and then the hybrids just so we can add complete that equation that's more like a third leg as opposed to in between in my opinion working with the medicine and hybrids are more heart opening so, so you can think of sativas as being like upper level chakras, you know, and just like that, that metaphor, indicas being body first three chakras and the hybrids are more in the third, fourth, fifth chakra area. Right. And so when you combine them, you get this full body high with an elevated psychedelic state. And, um, and there's more to how we elicit the psychedelic experience, but that's the blend. So there's no high concentrates there's no hash uh, we don't use oils um, so the terpenes the terpene profiles are, are maybe the most important aspect and you can't get that without like you can't you can only get that from the fl- raw flour as pure like maybe live resins and stuff but um but when you make a oil or a vape pen and things like that you lose a lot um so so we only work with the flour and it's a bowl or two some people take a few puffs. You know, it's not like I'm gonna smoke until I um, until I can't smoke anymore. Um, so, yeah, it's amazing. It's like a subjective dosing. You use a subjective dosing. Uh, and so, if what I tell people, everybody's laying down. Uh, that's the general pose. And I tell people, if you're sleepy, if you're sleepy or bored, you should smoke more. And um, and that's the general <laughs> gauge. <laughs> 
you know? Yeah, why not, right? Like, if you're bored or sleepy, you, wanna, you might as well. Um, most people are coming for psychedelic trips, right? So uh, they're, they're, ready to, they're ready for something significant. Yeah, they're ready to have they're ready to have an experience. So you're inviting that and yeah. supporting that, and also it sounds like inviting them to self to self administer the dose mm-hmm. that they feel that they need with some guidance and support. Right. Yeah, yeah. So that's ninety percent of the intervention right there is to help us heal our ingrained cultural shame around using these medicines. Mm-hmm. You know, like so. Think about. Um, like my first experiences were really wonderful, but they uh, were mixed with a lot of societal judgment, family judgment. And my family was all right, you know, like not a lot of judgment, but it's still there in our culture. And so many people in our communities are utterly, have been utterly shamed uh, for wanting to, were, for being one inspired by this plant or, the, or just these psychedelic medicines in general. But usually it's cannabis gets the brunt of that. Um, psychic assault on our systems and so a lot of the experience is healing the shame around consuming cannabis and so i invite people you know your body more than i do you know your mind more than i do you know your relationship with this medicine more than i do you're invited to smoke as much as you choose to and um and people completely self-regulate the you know the over the like what we would consider over too much experience is pretty easy to manage um, it's very safe, and at that, and if people reach that level, they learn something significant, you know. And um, but but it's not um, it's not generally a freak out, you know, like taking too much of an edible or you know something like that. It's just really a strong trip. Um, so so the shame piece is one of the most important things that we work so we're very community oriented in that way normalize the experience and let people trust their own relationship to their bodies uh, and that's part of how we work with healing traumas is letting people choose how they heal themselves as opposed to a substance doing something to them does that make sense yeah um, and I think it's such an important part of a yeah, what, what, it gets, there's bigger implications for healing on the societal level when more people are empowered to trust themselves and to know their bodies. You know, I, I'm a doctor and I see on a daily basis in my clinical practice how people don't trust their bodies mm-hmm. and how the dominant medical system has um, divided us into parts, essentially. Yeah, right. And one, you know, the leg isn't talking to the yeah. other leg or the yeah. kidneys or whatever. And so to support people to come back into that holistic mm-hmm. embodiment within themselves and to, to trust that their body might complete a cycle of trauma in an experience like this and that That's they right. know how to do it is really important and, and they, empowering. And then they can take it home and do it themselves. It's very safe mm-hmm. for people to practice these um skill sets on their own and so that's what we're doing is we're teaching people how to do it so i don't work from a therapeutic or a psycho psychotherapeutic like psychology or clinical orientation it's part of it but it's more of a mindfulness practice and and a guided mindfulness practice when i sit with people but i'm teaching people uh, mindfulness skill sets to heal their own trauma using this plant medicine that's already legal So the implications are we can do this now. Uh, we don't have to wait for legalization. We don't have to hide it. You know, so like I'm a strong proponent of like, let's use all the tools right now. We need all the help we can get, you know, um, <laughs> like that's kind of where I'm at. Like uh, and like prohibition is like 
it's just completely unjustified in my world, my reality at this point, you know, um, uh, I get it. I understand why it happens, but I'm more like, what can we do now right away? And and I think this for me, it's just my role, maybe, you know, like it's the idea of bringing cannabis back into the psychedelic conversation. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. And um, and so with cannabis, we can access like I work with students from all over the country, you know, and they bring it they bring these skill sets home with them and they can you know, they can find the the right herb eventually to to do this work wherever they are. Um, and you you just ask the plant to show up in this way, and it will. You know, what are you seeing in in your practice? What kinds of things are people coming coming with and finding some growth, healing, resolution around? Yeah, you know. So in preparing for this uh, conversation, I was like, re- you know, just kind of researching where are we at with cannabis right now. And there was a recent study um, just for medical cannabis, white people use medical cannabis um and about a third are for mood disorders which would be anxiety depression and uh, post-traumatic stress uh specifically and the the other third is um using it for pain management uh and and our practices help with chronic pain as well and then the, the third one of the highest is sleep uh you know to get better sleep and so those are pretty core issues for people um i would say the vast majority of the of the people who come for clinical healing is some form of trauma related, um, healing. Um, and that can show up in a lot of ways, right? Like trauma to me may be a core cause of most mental health concerns. So if you, and, and some physical health concerns, you know, like autoimmune disorders and things. Um, so I have a large clientele that comes specifically for trauma resolution healing. And then I have another large clientele that's like curious, psychedelic curious and don't know where to start. And so the idea of going to Peru, like, and they don't want to break the law or they don't like, they couldn't break the law, even though they really want to, um, because they don't know where, where to find a guide or like, you got to remember like this, not everybody's places like San Francisco, right? Um, um, and so, and so there's some curious folks. And so I, so I tell them, you know, cannabis is great because you can step into this experience. You can test the waters, explore it. But then I, I surprisingly have a large group of clientele that are like very experienced psychonauts. And most of what I hear them say when I talk to them first time is, I want to develop a new relationship with this plant medicine. I, I have had enough experiences with this plant medicine that I realize I could be using it more skillfully. And so, um, you know, like, oh, you can turn cannabis into a psychedelic, right? Like, so, you know, I'm curious about that. Like, and, and sometimes they'll show up completely skeptical, which I really value. Um, uh, uh, and, and, and they do get something significant out of the experience. The medicine itself has a tendency to mimic other psychedelics, Maybe it's something about like the particular plant spirit. Um, so if I were to describe it as a plant spirit, I would say it would be like a shapeshifter or a mini-faced, um, like an archetypal feminine quality. And so it can, like, I don't know any other medicine that will start out like MDMA, weave into psilocybin, and then weave into ayahuasca and DMT, and then return to MDMA by the end of the session. And that's what it's like. I know it sounds crazy, um, you know, 
Um, but I, you know, this is like my common life experience. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate just really taking the, um, some of the stigma out of it, encouraging people to let go of the shame, encouraging people to consider how they can, um, expand their relationship Mm -hmm. with this medicine. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of shame and stigma out there and empowering people to say, Hey, what can I've had maybe this relationship, maybe when I'm out mm-hmm. hiking or hanging out with my buddies or whatever. And what else yeah, can I watch a movie? Yeah. You know, how else um, can this support relaxing me? after work? So cannabis, like I, I say now, there's really no such thing as cannabis sativa. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's only cannabis strains. And I, you know, and what I mean by that is that the effects of the medicine are so radically different based on different strains. They're all cannabis sativa, but like this one's going to knock you out. This one's going to help you relax. This one's going to be a lot of fun with your friends. Um, there's a strain for it, you know? So if you need, and with the mental health disorders, right? Like, um, Depression, there's a strain to help with that. Anxiety, there's a different strain for that. Uh, Sleep, you know, most people sleep better after these journeys than they have in a while, which I think is, you know, you know, a pretty significant difference from other psychedelic, like therapeutic experiences. You know, like you're usually wired or awake for a long time. Most people sleep better than better than they have in years. You know, so uh, it this medicine is very special in that way. It's like. Like again, associated with like a, like a feminine mother uh, energy, and so think of like not not our mothers, right? Like human mothers, but um, think of like the archetypal, infinitely compassionate, com- deeply caring, and completely trusting of the child that it's that the you know the mothers in care of like i trust that you know exactly what you need and i'm going to help you um achieve whatever it is you say you need that's like the medicine of of like the spirit and she will she will show up in that way and um and so it's fascinating you know so like so i just said how do you sh- like can you show up as a psychedelic please <laughs> you know she said sure let me show you how and uh and so i would get the i get the feedback i'd experiment and try it again and say, and then she'd teach me more. And just like, and just, we just kept stepping into that path together. And, um, uh, it's, it's just been a completely fascinating ride to say the least, you know, I didn't like, like with all of this, like, I feel like I've lived in, I'm living my life and my reality has been slightly out of phase with the rest of the world because I've been living in this, space where cannabis can be used in this way and just in the last maybe year and a half or so i'm starting to feel like i'm coming back into phase with the rest of reality where people are like yeah i I can see that's possible instead of like daniel you're crazy what are you talking about you know um and so i've just trusted that i could keep going until Mm -hmm. until um we started to like to be able to articulate what we were doing and and at the beginning i have to admit like i didn't I didn't think, realize how special it was and how much I'd be inspired by it. Um, and that's, so again, I, I want to like, so there's like, how do we explain this? Right. And, um, I chose 
not to do work with MDMA and psilocybin and LSD and these other medicines because, not because they were illegal, but because I was so inspired by working with this medicine. And so if you can think of the experiences that, you know, we've all, many of us have had on these medicines, like to put it in that kind of context, um, uh, it's been surprising to say the least. I'm still surprised by the, by where we go sometimes with this medicine. You know, I've had peyote experiences on cannabis. I've had 5-MeO-DMT experiences on cannabis. Like, And I've seen other people do this too, you know, like I've been in the presence of whole groups of people having these experiences. Um, so I know that sounds, you know, pretty far out, you know, but. I don't think so because I, I think that any and um, all of these psychedelic allies, as I like to think of them, or entheogenic allies are perhaps just different portals on the big door of to con- of consciousness or to consciousness. So, uh, it, perha- you know, you could take the MDMA route in or the peyote yeah. road in or yeah. the cannabis road yeah. in and, and there becomes a contact with another layer of consciousness becomes yeah. available and it that's, has many faces. Yeah, and that's what I'm thinking too is like there's a like a like ayahuasca elicits a particular neural pathway in the brain and so I and so the cannabis will just reignite that same neural pathway but it can do it with all the medicines um and even it can do it with people who've never experienced these other medicines too so i'm not quite sure how that works you know but it is um you know what i'll say the main difference is though and and i'd I'd like to highlight this because i'm not because it really has made me question my understanding of psychedelics in general and that is um we don't lose our agency necessarily Uh, or like, and so, and so think of it as a, like as a trauma resolution tool, you know, um, it allows us to have consent every step of the way of the journey. And you can't say that with other psychedelics, like you take the pill, you're on the, on the ride. And, and the, the best analogy I can give is, um, like if you, if you smoke DMT, you sit up from the experience in the middle of it, you're still going to be on a DMT trip right with cannabis you could be having a, a what appears to be a full-blown dmt type experience but if you needed to use the restroom or if it was getting too much you just take your eye covering off and sit up and you're like completely back and like almost immediately and um you're just really high right uh, which which is a great experience but very different than dmt right and if you put your eye covering back on and relax and go back into it, you can go back into the DMT state. And so there's something about agency, which is different than other psychedelics, which to me is making me question that assumption about these other psychedelics. Like maybe we don't have to lose our agency as much as people do. And there's something about cannabis that supports teaching us how to have choice and how to navigate these spaces um, that translates back to the other medicines after we work with cannabis. Um, yeah, I see that. And I mean, of course, there's incredible value to being in contact with agency. And I think that it takes time for anyone to learn how to navigate any sort of landscape as well. Sure. Yeah. And in, in regards to what you said earlier about um, the potential for cannabis to trigger a neural pathway, say someone mm-hmm. does have prior ayahuasca experience or perhaps they don't, in in my worldview, these allies are non-temporal and non-spatially bound, so they can 
across time and space in yeah, ways right. that yeah. I don't have a full conceptual yeah. um, grasp on. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if perhaps an ayahuasca spirit could come visit and ride on a neural pathway oh, yeah. with the cannabis and supporting comes the opening too. All the time. <laughs> You know, like seriously, it's great. She's great to come visit in the circles, you know, and we'll see, you know, in the circles, we'll see, we'll see people sitting, um, sitting with us and we'll look again and they won't, you know, nobody will be there. Candles flame up. You hear knocking on the, on the walls and, or something significant will happen and the whole speaker system will do something really weird. And, you know, a lot of synchronicity, a lot of like, and then people say that all the time. Like my grandmother came, my, my mother came, my father came who I didn't have a good relationship and apologized for, you know, it's like, these are, and then it's like, and it's like, and then all of a sudden it's just like bawling, you know, it's like, beyond real right and um or like hey did you touch me when you know like did you touch my feet or did you come over and put your hand on my shoulder when i was laying there i'm like no we had multiple sitters you know nobody's like going around touching people and um and uh like you know they really feel the presence of something and the ayahuasca spirit often shows up you know it's like so ayahuasca oftentimes it's connected with the grandmother right you know the grandmother spirit so this is the mama spirit you know and uh and it's like a whole family of spirits that show up for these things um so at this point i'm going to start raise asking people like you know who's done ayahuasca here it's like oh ayahuasca is going to show up tonight you know who's done lsd uh, lsd is going to show up tonight you know they all show up it's a big party and um <laughs> And it's a plan in our heads. I'm telling you, they like, you know, these temporal and non-temporal beings like to play in our heads and incarnate for a minute, you know. I want to spend a few moments just talking about the importance of integration. Um, I find that it's kind of a blind spot in the psychedelic community. And mm-hmm. I'm just curious what your initial thoughts are on the importance of integration. Yeah, right. <clears throat> yeah, it's like this is such a ironically new concept for our community right oh you have this trip and then you're done and then you know and then it impacts your life right change forever and i don't see that happening generally speaking i've definitely had like i've seen miracles where like it's the trip it's healed something and it's like i'm just different now most of the time people need to really put effort into integrating the lessons or the um behavior patterns or the new way of being into their lives and so the acute phase is get rest drink lots of water you know uh, take care of yourselves go slow if you can and um and then there's also another thing and i highly recommend this for everybody but something about physical doing is really good for integration so like usually after a big experience you know i'm kind of tender I, I need some time to take you know to take care of things but if i don't do anything in my life i can feel like a like i'm not doing something right here like i let drugs get in the way of my life you know something like that you know I, we all have these interjects that we still work with and and what i found is like household chores uh things that don't require a lot of thinking but still feel productive um, gardening for, you know, things getting going on walks, you know, but things that uh, support your life, uh, but don't require a lot of mental, um, you know, energy, right? And then what happens is as you're doing these things, you don't feel bad about yourself for 
or whatever, you know, like that was interject showing up. You're doing things, you're feeling accomplished, but then something about that process, it'll those memories, the experience, it's working us, right? And so, so there's a saying, you know, uh, in Buddhism, before enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. After enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. You know, so that's like a, a state's experience too. You know, like we can, you know, psychedelic experiences are like a. Um, an enlightenment state, you know, but it's not a stage. We don't stay there. Uh, and so chopping wood, right, physical exercise and carrying water would be symbolic of like emotional work. You know, you're going to do the hard work of, of emotions um, and, and engaging what, what transpired. So instead of I also, you know, so I, there's this thing in our real common in our community called psychedelic overvisioning, at least something what I call it. And so and so you're talking about these timeless states. Right. So it's more like like we're little particles and all of a sudden we experience the wave pattern of all possibilities in our lives or, oh, I know exactly what I'm going to do in my life. And we immediately start try to implement that big step, that one big thing that we saw or, or the 15 big things that we saw. Right. And, and so um, it can be too much. So a lot of integration is about translating a wave state to a tiny particles. to a time a time. <laughs> A time embedded state, right? We're embedded in time. So, what does it look like? What's the next step, right? And that's what I tell people to focus on. Just focus on the next step. If you had one thing that really came to you, just focus on that one thing, you know. And that is sometimes more than enough for people. If you can anchor that in, then the next time we engage the medicine work, um, we're coming from that space as opposed to where we were before, you know. Um, but, you know, so integration seems to be way, you know, we can always have big experiences, but it's really important with people who are struggling with uh, trauma and that like anybody that is coming for uh, something clinically significant healing, you know, do you have a therapist? Um, do you have people you can speak to? Do you have friends that know you're doing this? Uh uh, do you have mindfulness practices? These are a lot of things that have nothing to do with the medicine experience itself, but are really helpful with the integration work. Right. It's important for people to have a framework to launch off from and land into. And yeah. from what I see, seven years ago when I was a student here at CIIS, we formed a group called ERI, which stands for Entheogenic Research Integration and Education. And we spent a lot of time thinking about integration uh, and formulating, um, trying to formulate a definition. And so the one that we came up with, which is perfectly imperfect, and we welcome feedback to make it better, but we yeah. say that integration is a process by which the material accessed and the insights gained in an entheogenic or psychedelic experience are incorporated into one's life in a way that has meaning and benefit for the mm -hmm. individual and their community because ultimately it's really where the rubber meets the road in my opinion what do we yeah. do with this yeah. experience and how do i bring that into my life in a bite-sized way or in a part of you know one particle at a yeah, time how do we make this matter how do we make know? it matter like, how do exactly. we make it matter instead right. of it just be a weekend trip exactly you know? yeah so in my worldview this world is the highest expression mm -hmm. There's no escaping this. This is why we, you know, we're here for a reason, you know. So, like, the peak experiences are really wonderful, but an even higher state is like, okay, you think you can be enlightened there? Okay, try it on the streets, right? Like, try it in at your work, you know. Like, how do you make a big difference in in our lives? Like, to me, and I have kids, right? Like, um, and and 
you know, I've just came from a conference where we've been talking about this, but we're, we're at the precipice of global climate disaster, right? You know, so like these are all really great experiences and I support them. And how do we use them to make something more sustainable, you know, because that's going to impact all of us. And, and I think these medicines, like, so there's one thing, like, man, we're, somebody can come up with one really good idea that can change the world. And I think that could happen with these medicines. But I think the mo- majority of the change is going to happen from how do I as an individual integrate change in my life and that impacts everyone around me. And that's where I see most of the work happening. You know, so it's like how, it's saying we can be so blinded by these medicines, you know, like they're so inspiring, you know, like Icarus, we just go right at them. It's like you get zapped, you know, by it. Um, um, and that's where, you know, so that's where cannabis comes in. Let's bring it back to cannabis and like cannabis as an integration tool. So imagine you just came back from an ayahuasca retreat or or even an MDMA assisted psychotherapy session. Uh, you can't do those all the time. Right. And the idea of going back. It'd be too much, but something wasn't quite complete. You're 90% there, but you didn't quite get through it all. You can do a cannabis journey, a psychedelic cannabis journey, and complete that last 10%, and then you're complete, right? And and so the, the process is complete, so the nervous system starts to regulate again, and, and you can move on with your life, whereas doing another ayahuasca journey or whatever would maybe blow it out of the water. And you can't just take a you know, teeny tiny bit of ayahuasca to have this, you know, a shorter experience, right? Um, but you could with cannabis, right? You can have an hour-long experience with cannabis and super psychedelic. You can have an hour-long DMT trip with cannabis, right? Like that's plenty. Um, and um, uh, it's, it's an amazing tool for that, you know. It's also a body medicine. Cannabis is a body medicine. So another thing about integration is like, in, and in the journeys, we practice a lot of breath, you know, focus, body, somatic awareness, like healing happens in the body. And even if you don't remember anything or a lot of it, um, the shaking, the trembling, the release, the traumatic releases that occur, uh, the body remembers. And so how do you support the integration of the body's experience? So hot baths, um, exercise, you know, getting your feet in the dirt if you can, you know, body work, yeah, time body in nature. Work, amazing mm-hmm. yoga, you know, cannabis and yoga mm-hmm. go hand in hand. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so many directions, so many directions. Yeah. I um, hope this is all making any sense. So, I would love to hear just a little bit about the DMTX project. Um, and, and yeah, what, the other one. You know, psychedelic frontiers, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. How do I even begin to describe these things? Um, so with cannabis, I was so inspired by cannabis, but it, was, it, it started to become my day job. And I also found that it was really hard to inspire others to working with cannabis, you know. And, uh, and so... I started to, and, and, and I've always been focused on growth edges. What are the real potentials of these medicines? And I've been playing with the potential of cannabis for several years at that point. And I was starting to really get, oh, if you bring in intention and skill, these, these experiences can blossom, you know? And so I started to think, what is the psychedelic community equivalent of something inspiring that we can all do together that wasn't clinically related if we didn't if we weren't specifically looking to heal the world of trauma 
why it shouldn't it shouldn't be all our focus, right? Like uh, there should be things that inspire us. What would that be for the psychedelic community? And I just started to play with that question. I'd invited Dr. Uh, McKenna, Dennis McKenna, to give a speech, um, and um, and so I was supposed to give a presentation. I had no idea what I was talking about, so it was really started just as to something to talk about, you know, and speak to. Um, and so, you know, so the extended state DMT project came out of that, and we even had to we we had to create language around it. So we call it DMTX. This is uh, it was invented by Dr. Andrew Gallimore using Rick Strassman's data in the original DMT study. And the idea is to use this pharmacokinetic uh, equation that's normally used with anesthesia, a little machine called an infusion pump and a form of DMT that could be injected into the bloodstream. And the idea is that you can program it. So you can program the duration, the intensity, and the takeoff speed the launch speed of it you put you program it push a button and the person goes into an extended state dmt trip Uh, so to the degree like so ayahuasca is a certain level of blood um you know dmt DMT in the blood um uh, dmtx is about five times stronger than an ayahuasca experience so so the question is how long can somebody stay in this space what would happen if they stayed in it for extended periods um and to me, that was the most inspiring thing and the hardest thing that I could imagine doing. Um, and that was specifically geared towards the psychedelic community's interest and not uh, culturally appropriating in any way, right? Like there's no tradition attached to the specific practice. It was a science experiment. And so to me, it's like more of an, a scientific expedition. You know, so we have these clinical we have these clinical research programs, right? To me, that's like really important side of, psychode- of, of, of science, right? The, the science experiment. And then in the ancient times, and even not too ancient times, we had expeditions of just, you know, journeys of discovery. And, and it's like just doing it because I know something's out there and I'm going to go in that direction until I end up coming back to where I'm at, right? Um, and that's to me was what DMTX really represented. And so I think of it as like our Apollo moon landing, uh, project. Um, and we, I have a whole crew, I have 20 people working on this project. Um, we finally, we may have found a retreat center. So we're doing this outside of the FDA approved research, um, protocols, but even though we're going to bring in the safety, of course, that's a given just to name that piece, bringing in the safety and FDA level safety requirements but we're doing it through a religious exploration model so uh at a retreat center in another country is going to be most likely where we do it where dmt is already legal um and the goal you know so imagine so psychedelics have this creative problem solving potential and they're also intertwined with incredible scientific discoveries right and so like you know the stereotypical examples would be like uh the elucidation of the structure of the DNA yeah, helix. DNA helix, <laughs> right? iPhone. Um, and if Personal you, computing. Uh, if you take a stack psychedelics out and just talk about altered states in general, we have relativity. You know, anything like um, Tesla related is pretty far out there. You know, and, and altered states related, right? So we have a huge track record of psychedelic exploration, and not all of it's good, right? Like you know, 
positive and negative things have come out of DNA sequencing, right? But w what if we could create a experience that could um, protocol advanced creative problem solving and so our idea is we make sure it's safe we have a whole psychonaut team um ready to do it right i've already recruited the psychonaut team and we're going to make sure it's safe and then we're going to start putting scientists into the machine and see what happens i already got this weird email from this guy who's he's who's talking about i want to use a create an algorithm for a quantum computer to create new algorithms, and I need to figure out how to program love into mathematical equations. Can right. I can I do this? So I'm like, tell me more. You know, like that sounds right up our alley. We got a quantum machine, quantum computer in there. We have programming love into the matrix. And I asked him, it's like, can you use regular language to explain this to me? And um, that's kind of where we're at right now, where he's writing me, and I'm like, okay, I don't understand any of this. Try again, and. Um, but you got you me at love, right? Yeah, man, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, okay. I wrote him and said, I'm listening, I'm listening. This is what we're looking for. You know, what if we could create, you know, and to me it was like, can we, can we, can we um, program morality into AI was his basic question. So, so AI doesn't run the world, um, you know, so, so things like that would be the exploration of DMTX. Um, but even just the idea, like just bringing the community of people together mm -hmm. that is interested in this idea, we're already getting, like we're already coming up with scientific experiments that we can explore and create, like uh, invent, like there's like people are already inventing things around this project. Mm -hmm. um, it's just created this, like it's like a, a font, you know, an energetic um creative, creative font of, of information, you know, and we're all just hanging out in it playing with these ideas. It's great. It's super inspiring, you know, at least for me. And so something about combining, so it's like the two extremes of the psychedelic movement, cannabis on one end, right? And DMT on the other end of the extreme. And that's the polarity that I play with and hold. And something about working with cannabis is helping train the people in preparation for the extended state DMT experiences. At least that's the theory, you know, um, Exciting. It's really exciting. I, I see that most people are coming from what I see in the medical research models and in the recreational and in the underground models. It seems like most people are coming to these experiences because they're interested in some degree of their healing or growth. And as Bob Jesse says, you know, there's room and space and interest to pay attention to the betterment of well people. And then there's a whole other level of psychedelic frontiers that have yet to yeah. be, you know, what's the growth edge of our movement. Exactly. What's the highest ideal that we could strive mm -hmm. for, you know, what would pull us, bring us all together, you know, into, we need it, big time creative solutions right now. When we yeah. think about the, the climate crisis. Yeah. I think like all hands on deck, really yeah, like let's look do. at, we need to explore all our options. And so the cannabis, so the cannabis is, is trauma resolution on a large scale, right? And that's where the healing can happen. We need it. We need trauma resolution on a global scale right now. Mm -hmm. And we need to stop the trauma that's being, happening. Mm -hmm. uh, that's happening. Right. You know, like these are these trauma inducing machines, like on a global level that is just spitting out trauma. And so like, um, you know, the, um, you know, just Trump, right? Like, let's just throw that out there, right? Uh, everything he touches is, ex you know, just it gets annihilated, right? And uh, and so we need to check that. And so 
And and so cannabis as a tool for social activism, right? So resilience development, uh, it helps with resilience development. It helps us clear our trauma so we don't dissociate when we're confronted by oppression or assaults, like whether it's verbal or like actual attacks on our society. Um, and we can respond with skill respond when we're not skill. when we're not traumatized and dissociating. We become less reactive and more skillfully responding. And then when we when we're engaging these systems of oppression, they you know they harm us, right? You know even if we win, they're still harmful to us. And so we can go back and use medicines like cannabis and breathwork specifically to. Um, resolve that trauma so that we can go out and do it again and again and again larger and larger scale right and so to me it's a major social justice issue um and the question is is trauma resolution enough and i don't know and so let's bring in the dmtx let's explore like far out possibilities and see if we can come up with something that just really just changes the equation of everything um maybe you know, at the very least, I think it'd be a lot of fun to try. (laughs) I think there's a lot of people that probably agree with you. There's some fun to to be had in the expeditions. (laughs) I've been meeting some very interesting people. You put a flag out, you know, and say, okay, we're going to do extended state DMT people like, hey, what's that? (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm curious about that. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, it's been great. It's great. Well, Daniel, it's uh, really been a pleasure to spend time with you here in this conversation and explore all these frontiers. I really appreciate you making the time and being here with us. And yeah, yeah. we'll bring this portion to completion and open it up to the audience for some Q&A. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, have thank a great you. Time. You've been listening to the podcast for CIIS Public Programs and Performances. Audio production was supervised by Lyle Barrere at Desired Effect. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or visit our website, ciis.edu slash podcast.